So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this the 6th of October. It's the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley and help me to produce the programme this morning. First of all, Shane Ambrose, somewhere out there in Skypeland. Good morning to you, Shane. How are you? Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks, Shane. And also, Anne is also joining us again this morning, our, our resident prayer guide, to help us out with a few prayers this morning. Good morning to you, Anne. Morning, John. Morning, listeners. Nice to be able to be with our listeners again this morning, who are especially those who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way. And also, our listeners, we want to thank, of course, those who support us each week in prayer. Our programme is broadcast, as people know at this stage, and Sacred Space at West Limit 1 or 2 Local Radio, at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. It's also available for playback and download at commandcinspirations.buzzbread.com. That's commandcinspirations.buzzbread.com. Also on our blog, there's a link actually on our blog to that commandcinspirations.buzzbread.com. And of course, our blog is sacredspace102 at blogspot.com. That's sacredspace102 blogspot.com. Of course, we don't have that currently being updated all the time, but you can certainly get a link and maybe listen to and read all the past uh, material that Shane's put up there for the last 10 years. You can also listen to us uh, on Spotify, those of you who are linked into Spotify, again, by searching Come and See Inspirations, and you get us there. As usual, our programme today will include, obviously, some Saints for the Week, which Shane's going to share with us in a few seconds. In part two of the programme, uh, we had planned actually to have Father Eamon, uh, Eamon McCarty, who's the priest director of Radio Maria Ireland, to join us today to share with us his thoughts on Idel Quinn. Unfortunately, Father Eamon couldn't make it with us, uh, unforeseen circumstances prevented him from joining us. So what we've done instead, we're going to play um, a recording that we picked up uh, that Father Eamon had shared with some people out in the United States some time back. So we'll, we'll listen to that in part two. And in part three, of course, as usual, we'll read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. If you want to contact us at all, and we do like people contact us by text, uh, by email, and to share a comment, ask for some music, make a request, maybe for us to have somebody on the programme to share their, their faith story, please do that uh, by either texting us on 87 That's 87 Or you can email us, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. So with this part of the programme, Shane, you got some saints to share with us this week, please? Yeah, so a couple of interesting ones, John, this week. It's the second week of October, as if, or well, for the saints, it will going into the second week of September of October. As John said, today is the 6th of October. It is the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. For those praying the Psalter, we're on week three. Now, interesting thing about this Sunday, John, it is also the National Day for Life here in Ireland. Uh, so praying and uh, participating in support for life from natural conception from conception to natural death um and that's on that's been that's been marked in ireland um today which is the sixth tomorrow is the feast day of our lady of the rosary and of course october is associated very much with the month of the rosary because predominantly of this feast now it's an interesting one john this is a feast day which has jumped around a small bit and which has changed its name quite a few times. Um, it actually started out to mark the victory of the Christian navy of various different countries in Europe 
against the Turkish Navy in a battle in 1571. And at the time, it was seen as a victory, a naval victory, through the intercession of Our Lady, Our Lady and the Rosary. And it was uh, seen as a key um, military endeavour which stopped the progression of Islam into uh, what we now call Western Europe. So initially it was Our Lady of the Victories, then it was Our Lady of the Rosary. It was moved around a few times by various different popes. Anyway, it settled so that on the 7th of October we celebrate the feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, which obviously urges us all to meditate on the mysteries of Christ um, and associated with the incarnation, the passion, and obviously the glorious resurrection of Jesus. Then on Tuesday, the 8th of October, we have the feast day of St. Nestor of Thessalonica. Aside from the fact that he was martyred during the Diocletian persecution sometime in the 4th century, we don't know a whole lot else about him, but his feast day is marked on the 8th of October. On the 9th of October, we celebrate now, John, this year it will be the last time that we will celebrate the feast day of blessed John Henry Newman, because his feast day falls on the 9th of October. But of course, on the 13th of October, John Henry Newman is going to be elevated to the altars and canonized by Pope, John, uh, by Pope Francis in Rome. And we're hoping to do a program uh, next week uh, is it next week, John? Next on, week, that's on right. John Henry Newman. That's right. We have Father Eamon Conway joining us. Yeah, looking at the newest saint to the church's calendar. So that's John Henry Newman, and he, so that's his, his feast day as blessed, which is on the Irish calendar, actually, because of his involvement with the Catholic University in Ireland, which is now UCD in Dublin. So he is, he is honoured on the Irish calendar, even as a blessed. And the assumption is that that date will stay the same, even when he is canonized. We'll find out all that out next week. Then uh, we also, on the 9th of, um, or the, of 9th of October, it's a special feast day for France because it is the feast day of St. Denis and his companions. And St. Denis is the first bishop of Paris. And he they were martyred, beheaded around 258 and buried at what is now Montmartre. And he is one of the first patrons of France. So then on Thursday, we have the feast day of St. Daniel Camboni. Now, Daniel Camboni is an Italian saint. And he may not be very familiar to Irish people, um, but he's a missionary saint. He founded uh, what are known now as the Camboni Fathers, a missionary society um, uh, particularly involved with spreading the faith in Africa. Uh, he, um, they're, they're both the Camboni missionaries, which are, the, the, which are both the fathers and the sisters. And he set up institutions in Cairo and Egypt to train men and women to go in to spread the faith, particularly around the areas of Central Africa, which is now what we call Central African Republic, the Republic of Sudan, the Republic of South Sudan. And he was Bishop of Khartoum in 1877. And he helped to suppress the slave trade in the region. It's an interesting one to note. We're not quite sure, but he may have known St. Josephine Bakita, but it's not 100% clear. So uh, that's St. Daniel Camboni. Then on Friday, the 11th of October, we celebrate uh, two uh, feasts in particular. On the Irish calendar, we celebrate St. Canis, who's associated with Kilkenny and Kilkenny City. But more importantly, on the universal calendar, on the general calendar, it is the feast day associated with John the 23rd, Pope, good Pope John, John the 23rd, convener of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, obviously, he was from Bergamo in 1881, where he was born. 
He taught at the seminary. He worked as a military chaplain. He was apostolic nuncio, um, both in or apostolic delegate in Bulgaria, Turkey, Greece, Paris. He was patriarch of Venice before being elected pontiff in, in 1958. And he called the Second Vatican Council in 1962. I hadn't quite realized John only oversaw the first session of the council because he died in 1963. And sadly, he died of stomach cancer. And it was rather a painful um, end, according to all accounts. So that's good Pope John. We celebrate his feast day on the 11th of October, which also happens to be the, 11th, the Children's Day of Mission Prayer. So for those involved with the World Mission Society, um, that will be the day of Ch Children's Day of Mission Prayer, which is held during the month of Mission, which is the month of October. Finally, then, John, on Saturday, it's a feast day which will probably be very close to the heart of Pope Francis. It is the feast day of Our Lady of Apresidia. Now, it is a Brazilian feast day associated with the Shrine of Apresidia. It's a shrine dedicated to Our Lady. It's a, a particular image of Our Lady on the, of the Immaculate Conception. It was a statue that was rescued from a river in 1717. Um, and it is a, a, it is, she's the patron saint, uh, she's patron saint of um, uh, Brazil, dedicated so in 1930 by Pope Pius XII. But where the Pope Francis connection comes in is the bishops of South America had a serious conference meeting, which was held at Apresidia. And Pope Francis, as he was then Archbishop of Argentina, was one of the key men involved in the hosting of that conference, which led to the, the way the running of the church in South America. So and it was dedicated to Our Lady under her or under her title of Our Lady of Apresidia. And often if you see pictures of Pope Francis in Rome, um, both in the Dominus Santa Marta, where he lives, but also sometimes on the altar when he's saying mass, particularly in St. Peter's Square, you'll see a tiny version of the statue of Our Lady of Apresidia. It's a tiny statue um, because and all you see is her head because it, it is generally clothed with a big stiff brocade cloth cloak. And there's quite a large crown on the statue as well. So all you really see are her head and her hands. Um, so that's what we celebrate, John, on Saturday, the 12th of October. Thank you very much indeed. I'll certainly be checking out the altar now there uh, the, every time the Pope says Mass there, Shane. Thank you very much indeed for that. OK, at this point of the programme, Anne, you might be able to share a spiritual communion prayer, especially for those, uh, and the many of them, who listen to our programme, who used to attend Mass uh, each, each day uh, and often used to see Holy Communion. Can no longer do it, but this is a prayer that we'd like to share with all those who, uh, who can't receive Jesus in the most blessed sacrament this morning. Thanks, Anne. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I now cannot receive you sacramentally. Come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So now our first bit of music this morning was one that actually um, Father Eamon uh, McCarthy had chosen uh, for us early on during the week. And unfortunately, as I said, he can't join us this morning. This one is entitled Mission and it's by Ennio Morricone. So let's say this.
welcome back again to part two of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Kelly. Shannon Ambrose is still joining me on the other end of the Skype line. And today we'd hope to be joined by Father Eamon McCarty, who's the priest director of Radio Maria, uh, to share his reflections with us on the life of Idel Quinn of the Legion of Mary, whose 75th anniversary occurs this year. Now, unfortunately, Father Eamon wasn't able to join us, and so we've decided to play a talk given by Father Eamon in the US some, some time back about the life of Idel, Idel Quinn. We'll follow this talk with Father Eamon's choice of music, which is Totus Tuus by Dana. So we'd invite our listeners to sit back and listen to Father Eamon, who shares with us again the life of Idel Quinn. Now again, Idel Quinn, now she lived before Alfie Lamb. Okay, so to try to get the dates, I started with Alfie because he's probably the shortest, maybe the easiest to deal with, but uh, Idel again lived a very young life, so she was 37 when, when she died, born in 1907, so that's even before the Legion itself began. The Legion started in 1921, uh, and again, a tremendous young woman from an ordinary family and tremendous faith and apostolic outlook, going this time to Africa. And she visited a large portion of the continent of Africa, began the Legion there, and did tremendous apostolic work herself. So, so she was born in 1907, September 14th, Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And certainly, in the same way, the Lord's hand moving in there, the cross was very much a part of her, her life. She died May 12, 1944. So just keep in mind, 1944 was the height of the Second World War. You know, so she was in Africa, and the war was going on in the, the, you know, the world was just consumed by this war. So her cause was introduced in 1963, declared venerable in 1994. So that's about nine years ago. So in other words, all the documentation has been submitted and approved, and now all we need is some good first-class miracles to... to, to uh, get her declared a saint. So she was born in Canturk, which is north of Cork there. You can see where each of those places is in Ireland. Again, uh, it's about an hour's drive from my parish. is just east of Cork to, to get to Canturk. I was there recently. They unveiled a um, beautiful statue of Edel Quinn in the town of Canturk in, a, in a, just a little area called uh, Edel Quinn Place. A little green area, a beautiful statue of Edel. The bishop came and blessed the, the statue there. Uh, and it's a great beginning to, you know, uh, generate awareness in that way. And they have a novena there every year, actually, as well, a uh, nine-day novena of masses in honor of Edel Quinn asking her intercession. So there's a couple of ideas already for promoting her, her cause. So you can see where Dublin is then in relation to, to that in Cork. Dublin's about a three-hour drive from Cork. So there's a lovely uh, romantic thatched cottage there where Edel was born, straight out of a Hollywood movie, you know, uh, there aren't too many of those left in Ireland, by the way. See a little bicycle up against the wall there, and there's a goose in the foreground there with a few goslings running after you can see that. And that's a typical Irish farm scene way back when, you know. I'm not sure if that house is even still there, to be honest. Uh, so that's, that's in North Cork. So there's Idel, age four, beautiful impish little girl, uh, very cute and, and very bright indeed, very, very bright girl. So she was baptized in a place called Castle Magna, very, very near uh, Canturk itself. And in Castle Magna Church, that's in my diocese, 
there's a lovely shrine to Our Lady, just uh, kind of like you have a shrine here, maybe behind me, uh, but a shrine with images of Edel Quinn and the story of her life there. And it's a great way of commemorating her there. And many people come and visit there. We had the Archbishop of Nairobi, uh, where Edel died. Uh, he came just last year to uh, celebrate Mass there and to commemorate uh, the great work she had done in Africa and to thank, really, the people of the area for uh, bringing such a great saint into their midst in Africa. So she received her first communion then in care in Tipperary on the Feast of the Ascension. So that feast is coming up again. So she moved around quite a lot. It's because her father was a bank manager and he moved wherever the bank needed him. Um, so he moved around from place to place. Here in 1914, the, the Quinn family, Mrs. Quinn and uh, the children, and uh, there was five children all, all together, and Edel was the oldest. And you can see the way they're dressed. It's uh, early 20th century. Again, lovely portrait of Edel at 11, uh, around the time she received her confirmation. And notably at her confirmation, she took the names Josephine Eucharia. She had a great love for the Holy Eucharist. And already at the age of 11, you can see by taking that, that name, uh, the love of Jesus and the Holy Eucharist coming through there. So there's her dad big rotund kind of a man with his pipe. Um, interestingly, he ran into difficulties later on, and his, uh, it's, it's a, uh, a testimony to Adele herself how she kind of stepped in and helped the family out. Because uh, as it turned out, one of the biographies tell us that Mr. Quinn had an addiction to gambling and found it difficult. And in the bank, he took a few extra bills here and there to, to, uh, to support his gambling addiction. And he was found out and demoted from manager down to a humble clerk. And their income was severely uh, affected by that. And Idel went to work after her own schooling to try to, to make up for that. Um, she never really spoke about it. The only time she spoke about it, I think, was to the man who proposed to her to try to explain the situation to him that, look, uh, I, I'm supporting my family at this time, really. I'm not ready to get married. Of course, that wasn't the only reason, and we'll see as we go through. So there she is in her, her pinafore, or whatever. I, is it the gym slip we call them in Ireland? But I think there's another that, that has all the connotations. A jumper, is it, as you call them? Okay. Uh, there's a lovely picture of Adele. Uh, the family were, were wealthy enough, so they sent her to England at the age of 16 to a finishing school, so kind of like the last year or two of high school, sent her there for, to really polish up her education and to make a young lady of her. Uh, so she went there, and the girls there at that school uh, had great time for Adele. She was great fun. She was always good for, good for a laugh, always up to a prank here or there. And you can see in all the photographs that we go through and, and the images that we have of her, a beautiful smiling face, and especially in her eyes, there's something deeper there about her. So there she is as a, a young working woman, the 1920s. Uh, there again, beautiful smile on Adele with her sister in the, the Chagny tile works. And her, her, that's the foreman with her in that photograph. But her employer, uh, Pierre, uh, of the Tyler Works, he, he took a strong fancy to Adele after a year or two of her working there because she was so dedicated and so committed to her work and so efficient. He could leave the whole business in her hands and she'd look after everything. Uh, there was a great dispute one day when uh, a huge delivery of tiles came to the factory and it was more than they'd already head office had sent this huge delivery and they just couldn't, they didn't order it. They didn't know where this came from. So they couldn't send it back to France where the tiles came from. So they had to offload them and, and uh, the workers there were grumbling and giving out. They had to put in overtime and there was a big dispute and they downed tools and Adele had to intervene and try to negotiate 
and uh, she was quite firm. She said, okay, you know, you get a half day's pay extra. She arranged some, some deal. And the guy said, nope, we're not having that. And, and down tools again. And Adele said, well, no, that's, that's it. We like it or lump it. And uh, she was quite strong and good at her job, good at her job. Her employer, who proposed to her on the 1st of September 1927 there, but uh, Adele explained to him, uh, look, I've, I've made a, a vow to enter the poor Clares, and I'm going to do so as soon as I know my family are in the clear financially. So she held on until then. But she, she kept up communication with Pierre. He was heartbroken, and, and, and they developed a strong spiritual relationship, even in themselves. The correspondence did peter out in the, in the 1930s, but we learn a great deal about Edel's spirituality from the letters that she wrote to him and kind of apologizing herself and maybe she felt maybe she hadn't made herself clear when she turned him down and she tried to explain things in the light of her faith. And, and Pierre soon realized that this was a chosen soul. She had a deep, deep spirituality and that she was not his, really, for the asking. Later on, he himself got married and he named one of his daughters Idel after Idel Quinn. So he really appreciated His own faith was strengthened by that. So there she is in the 1930s. Uh, here she is. She... she Eventually, a friend of hers simply asked her to join the Legion, and kind of like Alfie Lamb, she excelled at her Legion membership. She absorbed the spirituality of the Legion in the true devotion to Mary and became a marvelous uh, legionary uh, with great apostolic spirit in spite of her illness and her frailty. Uh, she took very ill in the early 1930s with tuberculosis. Um, in fact, she went to enter the Poor Clares uh, in the, uh, the late 1920s, around about this time, and the poor Clares, she had made arrangements, which was, which was going to be uh, on the Feast of the Annunciation and on the, the March 25th. And so on the February, she suddenly was diagnosed with tuberculosis. So again, her vocation to religious life completely frustrated. That God's plan for her was obviously something completely different. It wasn't to be the poor Clares. Uh, and yet, again, heartbroken by that and devastated that... Uh, you know, what am I going to do now? Where is God calling me? So, um, and, and she was very sick. In fact, so sick that she had to give up the Legion and she was admitted to a sanatorium. And back then in the 1930s, the only remedy for tuberculosis was fresh air and more fresh air. You know, they put you in the sanatorium, open the windows, winter, summer. And th this was, it helped, I think, but uh, this was the supposed cure. So she stayed in the sanatorium about, about a year, I think, and eventually said, well, look, this is, this is crazy. I'm not getting any better, and my family can't afford this, so I'm leaving. So a visitor came to her in a car. She packed her things and just went. And it wasn't as if she was being hasty or rash. She was really trying to look after her family's needs, that she knew she wasn't getting better, and this wasn't doing any good, so it was time to leave. So uh, gradually she got back involved in the Legion, and uh, even though she's quite sick, she managed to conceal it quite well, by her cheerful personality uh, and, and uh, gradually got back into the swing of things with the Legion and seemed to improve a little, at least, anyway, in the early 1930s. So 1934 was the first Legion pilgrimage to Lourdes, and Adele went. She's the center there at the back of that photograph. She went with them, even though she was desperately sick. And on one occasion, she even fainted. Uh, they went to visit the bishop, local bishop of Tarb, I think, in Lourdes, and Adele, Adele fainted on this trip. Uh, she hadn't had breakfast before Mass, and they went straight from Mass. And she used to do this kind of thing regularly, uh, really not eating enough huge self-denial in her whole, her, her whole life, her whole spirituality there. 
So here she's with some of her friends, uh, Mona McCarthy and Emma Bodkin. And there was a fourth, Muriel Wales. The four of them, Frank Duff, nicknamed the gang. They were always palling around together and they had great fun. You can see by the smiles, there were great funs in the, in the 1930s there. Um, so 1936, uh, she and Muriel Wales, one of, her, one of the gang, they went on a trip to, to Wales and to England to spread the Legion. And even though Adele really wasn't that well, Muriel went with her to keep an eye on her because Muriel says herself, there's a video interview with her, Muriel says that uh, Frank Duff knew that Muriel was well able to eat and rest and do all the normal things, whereas Adele was at this heroic level of giving of herself. So he sent Muriel with Adele to make sure that she would look after herself, but that the two would try to spread the legion in Wales and in England, uh, specifically North Wales. And they did, and they, they, the first, they went for two weeks. The first week, uh, things didn't go too well. The second week, uh, they succeeded in getting permission to start seven presidia in that short visit. So that's the kind of effect they had. Um, so they did, and on their return, they were thrilled. They went to see Frank Duff and explained everything to him. And uh, Frank Duff suggested to Edel in his own characteristic way, well, now that you've been to Wales, in fact, what Edel wanted to do was to go back to England and to work there and to spread the legion there instead. So Frank said, well, how about Africa? And she said, yeah, I'll do it, no problem, I'll go. Uh, and so she did. There was all kinds of consternation at the Legion headquarters, the Concilium meeting, that Edel, a frail, sickly young woman, should go to Africa. Dangerous continent, uh, full of the unknown, full of wild jungle animals, and who knows what. Missionaries found it difficult enough, let alone a weak young girl like Edel Quinn. So at the Concilium meeting where they were making the decision to send her, there was a priest there, Monsignor McGuinness, who stood up and said, look, I've been in Africa for years. This is crazy, sending her out there. It's extremely dangerous. She's not a well woman. Uh, this just is not right. And he was very much against the whole idea of sending Idel. Uh, and Idel herself stood up during the meeting and she said, well, you know, I'm no, I know I'm not going on any kind of picnic. And Monsignor McGuinness was quite a, a forthright man. He said, picnic? said, you'll be the picnic, you know? <laughs> and so uh, the whole place broke into laughter that day. And Frank Duff stood up then. He said, well, she won't be much of a picnic, really, you know? <laughs> and so at that stage, the, the atmosphere kind of, kind of relaxed a bit. And uh, the permission was granted, and she was set to go. But Adele, being the sensitive spiritual soul that, that she was, uh, shortly after that, went to the Presidium meeting where Monsignor McGuinness was a spiritual director. And during the meeting, one of the members tells this story. Adele kind of burst in the door and stopped the meeting and went up and knelt next to Monsignor McGuinness and apologized. She said, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to uh, undermine your authority or to, you know, I really didn't mean to cause a, a, a to, to change, to sway the opinion of the concilium like that. And poor Monsignor McGuinness, nearly close to tears himself, he said, look, you know, the, the Lord works in his own way. And he kind of embraced her and she embraced everybody at the meeting. And shortly after then, she was to set sail for Africa. So here she is in, in England, in, uh, near London, on the ship, ready to go with Frank Duff. This is quite um, an historic photograph with uh, Edel Quinn and Frank Duff. And she was close to tears at this parting, but she told the people with her, the legions who came to see her off, look, try not to say too much in case I break down. I don't want to, to break down in tears. And she knew herself, 
she told the legionaries, I'm not coming back. She had this sense of utter, utter commitment. So there she is on board ship, her usual smile. Uh, as it turned out, uh, there wasn't room in the ship. And the way the Lord works things out, uh, there was a cancellation, and so Edel got a first-class cabin. Uh, and she, she was a bit, maybe you know, in her own humility, didn't really like that too much, but uh, Frank Duff was happy that she had got comfortable passage because it would take weeks to travel to Africa. And more than that, uh, because she had a first-class cabin, she was able to have mass celebrated in the cabin every day on the way to Africa. So amazing how the Lord looks after his own. So this is en route, just a picture of uh, Edel in her safari dress uh, in Port Said. That's on the way to Mombasa in, in Kenya. And uh, here she is now in Kenya herself. So she began in Kenya, Nairobi, and made lots of friends there. Here's a priest that uh, supported Edel a great deal in her own work uh, along the way. But again, had, had all kinds of difficulties uh, trying to begin the legion. Part of that was the language barrier. Part of that was the racial barrier. Because you had whites, you had Indians, Asians, and Native Africans too. And they, they wouldn't mix. The three ethnic groups would not mix together. And so Edel came along and said, well, look, the Legion is for everybody. We don't, you know, we don't set up separate groups like that. And they said, well, no, this is the way things are. You know, just accept it and get on with it. And uh, no, Edel, in fairness to her, she, what she did, she started individual groups, certainly of, of the ethnic groups, but she also began mixed groups as well. So she broke new ground that missionaries themselves couldn't break by establishing mixed presidia of the Legion. And again, she had phenomenal success and traveled all around Kenya um, and, and the countries around there, Malawi, um, is it Zimbabwe is next to that, um, Uganda she went to visit too, Tanzania. She went further afield to, to uh, Mauritius, down to South Africa, uh, traveled around quite a few of the, the large countries in the east of Africa there. So Africa is simply an enormous continent. It, it's worth sitting down and actually looking at the map to get a, an appreciation of the scale of her journeys and her travels. Just, just extraordinary. So in the beginning, all her work, she traveled around. She took lifts here, there, and everywhere, traveled by foot, uh, every conceivable means of transport in Africa. And eventually, she figured she, she needed a car, really. So uh, the first year or two was, was spent uh, getting lifts here, there, and everywhere. But in 1938, she, the Concilium allowed her to buy a car. And because she worked in, in, a, in another premises where they used to maintain cars, she knew a little bit about you know, a good buy. And so she got this Ford Coupe, uh, which took her on. She called it her Rolls Royce, and it took her everywhere. And there's many occasions when she went through rain and flood and mud and dirt tracks, and you know that poor car took all kinds of abuse. Uh, one of her journeys, she had a driver who used to come around with her, Mohammed. Uh, she had a few drivers in the course of the years, and at least two of them were fond of the fond of the drink. And uh, she had to sack a couple of them along the way because they, you know, they were going everywhere. <laughs> you know, so she had to be careful. So here's a typical uh, presidium and the legion growing, Adele sitting there at the front and some priests and religious there, uh, just to give you an idea that, yeah, the, she won great support. And again, it was, I guess, her living the legion that really uh, people admired it and, and were drawn into it. Uh, extraordinary. And here Adele, quite at ease with various priests and missionaries and able to hold her own, just like with the men at the, at the, at the factory, you know, uh, tough, but, but deeply, deeply uh, religious at the same time. There she is at the front there with a typical legion meeting, no different to any legion meeting you might have here.
1936 to 1940, you know, there's just a huge amount of travelling all over these, these uh, vast countries, jungle and tropics and heat and all kinds of conditions. She, she picked up malaria along the way as well. So, and, all, and together with her tuberculosis, uh, how she survived at all is miraculous at all. But uh, here she is recovering from illness in, in Malawi. Uh, that was after her trip to um, Mauritius as well. And you can see just from her legs uh, how thin she was. She thought it was a good idea to go and get a portrait taken to show how good she was. But uh, in reality, 75 pounds, she, she really got very ill. Uh, and you can see next to Ruby Roberts there, another Irish envoy. Uh, Ruby's in her 50s and Adele there is only in her 30s. And you, you would say it was the other way around, really. Um, she looks worn out from her, her work. Uh, and, and this was after much traveling and much, much visiting. So the early 1940s saw a real downturn in, in her health. And she spent a year or more in various hospitals trying to recover. She went to South Africa because the, the climate was a bit more temperate there from uh, East Africa and Kenya. It was quite tropical there and quite difficult to live. So South Africa, the, uh, the climate was better suited to her. So I've kind of flashed through very quickly her time in Africa, but really, again, it was much like Alfie Lamb, presidium after presidium, curia after curia, and, and she won the hearts of all, not without huge opposition at the same time. Missionaries saying, look, what, you know, there was, there was never heard of that a young uh, woman who wasn't a religious should travel the roads of Africa and the mission stations uh, in an apostolic way. It was simply unheard of. You just wouldn't do that. Uh, so she was a pioneer, certainly, in that spirit. Uh, and wherever she went, she managed to win their hearts and to begin the Legion. And again, the same workload, having to write, to keep in touch with the various Presidia and Curia, to return again, to visit again, see how they were doing, to keep in touch with Dublin, to keep everybody informed of what was going on, to win over the hearts of, of bishops and priests and missionaries. There was one occasion when a, a, there was one priest who really didn't have time for the Legion. Uh, and he kind of undermined everything Edel was trying to do. So he'd establish these groups. He'd get people to come together like here, and yet he'd kind of, he'd knock it on the head all the time. Uh, and yet on one occasion there was another, a second priest with them, and he could see how sincere Edel was. And because this other priest was giving her such a hard time, he, he kind of won her heart and kind of got in the back door that way and, and managed to get things going in that place uh, through that other priest. Uh, so it was simply her perseverance that, that won her through. Not only that, but there was a, an apostolic delegate in Africa at the time, a Monsignor Ribéry, and he was in Africa during those years. He's an Italian, and because the war had started in 1939, uh, his, he was asked to leave Africa. Some of these countries were occupied by the English, and being Italian, they were on the side of the Germans, and so his time was limited in, in Africa, and he had to go. But he, he had made contact with Edel, and he'd seen the huge success that Edel had in starting the Legion in Africa. He was then sent back to Italy. He was then appointed as a nuncio to China in the 1940s. And he had seen what the Legion could do. So he arrived in China in the late 1940s, and he said, right, the communists are coming. We've got to start the Legion. He had seen what Edel could do, and he said, well, look, because Edel had such success, we can do the same here. So he took on uh, Father Aidan McGrath, who was an Irish priest in China at the time, and said, get started, get going. And they started in China, many thousands of presidia, and there were many thousands of Chinese martyrs for the faith as a result of that in the early 1950s. 
Now, all this is going on while Alfie Lamb is busy working in South America. So you can see, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here at the same time and how the Holy Spirit is moving right across the globe. Uh, extraordinary. So Edel Quinn, um, uh, Monsignor Ribery would say, was responsible really for bringing the faith to China. And, and we look at China today, at, at, in the 1950s, I reckon about 3 million Catholics, but now it's grown to, to many more, at least 10 million or more Catholics in China, in spite of the persecution that's still, still ongoing. So Edel died in, in, uh, in, in Nairobi, 1944, and she was buried in the habit of the Sisters of the Precious Blood. Uh, so it was as if her, her religious vocation had finally uh, been fulfilled. Here she was buried with, with the sisters. Welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in on the 
Skypeline by Shane Ambrose, and here in studio by Anne, who's going to pray this prayer before we read and reflect on Scripture. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this water in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that. So the gospel for today, as we said um, at the start of the program, for the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from Luke chapter 17, verse 5 to 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. But the Lord replied, Were your faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, with a servant ploughing and minding or minding sheep, would say to him when he returned from the fields, Come and have your meal immediately? Would he not be more likely to say, Get my supper laid, make yourself tidy, and wait on me while I eat and drink? You can eat and drink yourself afterwards. Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he was told? So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, say, We're merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. That's the gospel for today. Shane, any thoughts you want to share with us to start off with, please? Yeah, it was kind of an, one I was kind of going, the one said, Lord, increase our faith. And I'm kind of going, oh, my God, is they echoing our words every week? Uh, or, you know, it's kind of, um, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. As I think, I, I think it was Augustine that said that. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it's 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 a strange one. The, the apostles turn around and say to Jesus, kind of, Lord, increase our faith. And then he turns around and says to them, well, you need to do what you have to do, but don't be expecting anything great and, you know, response to it. You know, and it's kind of going, okay, that's not really encouraging, boss. What are you trying to do to us? But I suppose what he's trying to get across is the idea that our belief, our faith, our inter- our interaction with God should be almost like something that is not even second nature to us, but natural to us, like we do when we breathe. That, you know, that, that and it's it's something that we, it should be central to our lives in such a way that um, isn't necessarily unique or something that is special. And I suppose it's the idea of, once again, putting before us the centrality that our faith should have in terms of our lives and also what that brings out in terms of our service to God and to each other. Um, you know, but it also, I suppose, it implies that we should have a greater trust in God, and which I think is the example which is given with the mulberry tree. Um, you know, it's kind of, Jesus, you know, expects us to 
allow God to make the impossible possible, to allow God to be God, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's also, they're interlinked. Faith and service are very much interlinked, um, which is something that is brought out here. It's like, you know, when a person has already performed their duty in faith, you know, their response ought to be to say generously that he has only done what was expected of him and that he's only kind of, you know, an unworthy servant. Um, I suppose, you know, it's that one can never have a claim on God just because we have faith or just because we do what's expected of us doesn't necessarily mean it gives us, we can turn around to God and say, well, I did that, haven't I great? You know, and it's something I suppose, it's a bit humbling, actually. It's kind of saying to you, well, you know, despite all the great stuff that you do, remember at the end of the day, God is God and you are you. Uh, you know, and it's it's important for us, I suppose, to remember that. Um, I think the other thing, I suppose, is that for us to remember that um, faith, it's like a bridge you know, that leads us to reach out to one another and to God. Um, and it's just for us to be to be careful of that, that sometimes the bridge can be a bit shaky um, and maybe it needs to be reinforced or strengthened from time to time. Um, you know, and it's 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 just something for us to be very conscious of. But in terms of this week, I suppose, John, and reflecting on the gospel for me, I think the first line would probably be what will strike um, for most people. It's that prayer of the apostles, Lord, increase our faith. And, you know, the, the, the following, difficult, following Jesus can be difficult and challenging. And, you know, I, a, a friend of mine who, who, who's in religious life said, it's all well and good being married, to Jesus, being married to Jesus Christ, but when your spouse doesn't say anything back, it can be a very long one-way conversation. You know, and there, you know, there's, a certain, there's a certain element of truth to that. That we, you know, that we just have to be, it, it can be difficult uh, to find and to see and to hear the moments of encounter of the divine in our lives. And even at the best, of, even for the best of people, um, you know, that can be challenging. Uh, Teresa of Avila, whose feast day we celebrate this month, um, she, she endured great hardships in her reform of the Carmelite order. And she's supposed to have once said to, to Jesus, or to because she 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 had locutions and apparitions, and she's supposed to say something along the lines of, "God, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd hate to see how you treat your enemies," you know. And and it's it's something for us, to, I suppose, to remember that it's never going to be simple and straightforward. Friendship and relationship is hard work. Ask anyone that's a married couple. Um, it's not something that's easy, and it takes work, and it takes a commitment every day. Um, it's hard work when you're dealing with another human being. Um, it can also be difficult, say, for someone who's in vocation to religious life or priesthood, where their other half might not necessarily be the most responsive. So just for us to think about and to make it our prayer this week, as we reflect on scripture, Lord, increase our faith. Shane, thank you so much for that. I think we'd all echo that particular one, increase our faith. Just a, just a few little thoughts just before we finish off here. As usual, I, I was a lecture divinity this week, Father Frank Dewey, again in Newcastle West Parish Centre, 8.15 to 9.15 every Monday night. Father Frank actually gave us a little bit of context to the expression that, that first one, Shane just, just quoted there, Lord, increase our faith. Uh, it's in the first, uh, the, the, the first part of the Gospel this particular week. But he said, if we actually go back a verse which is not quoted in today's uh, Gospel, the previous verse 4 of Luke's good gospel there said, if someone wrongs seven times a day, 
and comes back seven times and says, I'm sorry, you must forgive him. And so, like, when the boys had this, when when the when the apostles had this, you know, they must have thought, you know, you know this is hard. Like, I mean, just sort of thinking to 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 for, to be able to forgive somebody when he comes back seven times after after giving me a hard time, even though he says sorry, you know, that takes some faith. And that's why we come then, Father Frank said, put in context now to the first verse in today's gospel, where. You know, where the boys say to Jesus, you know, the apostles say to Jesus, increase our faith. But Jesus, as usual, had the answer. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, apparently that's a very small seed, you do great things. He even said, said there that you could tell a tree to uproot itself and it would go. It's kind of just an expression. But what Jesus is saying to us this week is that our faith in him is enough to overcome obstacles. Even for forgiving somebody who's wronged us so often. So maybe our prayer this week could be, Lord, as Shane said, increase our faith and let God be God and help us to work out our struggles. I just want to say just one little, just one little comment there on the last, on the very last sentence of the gospel there today. We are merely servants. We've done no more than our duty. Just prior to that, be grateful to the servant for what he's doing. So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, we say merely we are your servants. The last line of the gospel today, we've done all that we're supposed to do and so on and so forth. What Jesus is really telling us, you know, is that there's nothing really special about us doing what Jesus asks us to do. That's what we're supposed to do. That's our duty to do it. And, and you know, people sometimes have the, have the idea, well, God owes us something. God owes us nothing. We owe God everything we have. So maybe this week we can become more aware of how God is helping us in our lives and be grateful for that. That's my little contribution for today's um, for today's little um, little reflection on the gospel that I get. Again, uh, we, we thank again Father Father Amen for allowing us to to play that uh, that talk that he gave to his guests in the US some time back on uh, Ed Alquin. Next week, as Shane said, we have a special guest joining us, uh, Father Amen Conway, our good friend, is coming back to join us again next week, and he's going to help us to celebrate, actually, the uh, canonization of uh, Blessed John Henry Newman. So until next week, from Shane and from Anne and from myself, thank you again for, join, for joining us. So now we'll go for our final piece of music, and this is entitled How Great Is Our God by Chris Tomlins. Trembles at his voice. How great.